the Sermon on the Mount today. <clears throat> We're going to look at 24 through 29 in verse chapter 7. And um, Gray preached on this passage last week, but there was so much in here that uh, I just I wanted to return to it and bring some closure. Jesus says these things as he brings closure to his sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And then if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 28 also, and we're going to look at verses, uh, verse 18 and 19, where this is known as the Great Commission, whereas Jesus, after his resurrection, commissions his disciples, and he says this, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has been given all power and all authority. And this morning we're going to talk about the authority of Jesus and how that is a turning point in our lives as we walk with him. Learning to live under his authority. Authority. The truth is... uh, we all have an authority problem, but our problem with authority is not so much about authority, but it's about your authority impending upon my authority. Like, I'm actually fine with authority as long as yours doesn't bump up against mine. The other day, uh, actually a few months ago, myself and Carson and, and Rob Witham uh, were having a meeting here at the church, and afterwards we went, went to a restaurant here locally, and, and we were hanging out and having dinner, and then afterwards we were hanging out in the parking lot, continuing to talk, and somebody in their car drove up next to us, and they totally just peeled out their wheels, just screeched, you know, and just as back in the 80s, we would call it burning rubber, right, and, and they were really nice. They were waving to us, but with one finger, and, uh, <laughs> and then they pulled onto 48th Street and did the same thing, just, and just tearing down the street, and immediately, a cop flipped on his lights and pulled him over, <laughs> and we did exactly what you did. Immediately, I want you to know that three of your pastors were like, yes, yes, there is justice in this world right here, right now. It went down. I mean, how often do you see something in life where there's this injustice and you say to yourself, where are the police? Where's the authority when you need them? And immediately you get, you get justice and we got it. When I see people speeding, Like, I speed, you speed, but I mean, like, really, really fast. (laughs) I want an authority to step in. I'll say to Becky, like, oh, I wish I was a cop. I would go after that guy, right? I want an authority to step in. When I see other people 
texting and swerving on the road like a drunk driver, and, and I see them in their phone. I look at them with disdain, and I cry out to, to God and, and to the state of Arizona and say, how can we not have a law that like prohibits this? But, but I, I know when to speed and not to speed, see? I want no police to be around when it's time for me to go that that nine to ten miles per hour, you know, and I've, I've got to deal with God and the police, right, that I'm going to live in that zone. And then I know when to text. I know how much distance there needs to be between cars. I know I look around. I'm safe. You're not. You need an authority in your life telling you when to text, when not to text. But I need the freedom to do that. Most of us don't have a problem with authority. We have a problem with other people's authority. And so Jesus has preached his sermon on the mount, and at the end of the sermon, the response of the crowd is astonishment because he preaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes. Uniquely, they sat there. You know, we've, we've broken this sermon down in about 17 weeks, but they just sat there for probably a half an hour and listened to him preach this sermon. And they said to themselves, this man has so much authority. And then, at the end of his ministry and life, after the resurrection and before his ascension, he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. So he calls them to go, make disciples, baptizing people, teaching them to obey all that, they've, that he's commanded them. But he t- begins by saying, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. At the end of his sermon, Jesus says incredibly authoritative things. He says, The person who hears my words and does them is like someone who builds their house on a rock. A firm foundation. He says, if you will hear my words, but not only listen to them, but do them, you're like a person that establishes your life upon a rock. And when the inevitable storms of life come, and the the winds howl, and the storm comes, and the rain comes, and the flood comes, you will survive because you're on a rock. But he says the opposite, that there's another group of people that will hear my words, and he's talking about the sermon that he just preached. He just preached the ultimate sermon, and he says, some of you will hear these words of mine, and you will live them out. You will do them. You will, you will live it, and to you people, you're like people on a rock, but some of you will hear my words and ignore them, and you won't do them. You won't act on them, and you're like a person that builds your house on sand, and the inevitable storms of life will come, and how great the fall will be, he says. That house won't survive, and basically he's equating this foundation with a life. This is what you're building your life upon. Jesus is equating authority and our foundations. Our, the authorities that we're building our life on and our foundation, the rock. What is your foundation? What are you building your life on? Because whatever you're building your life on, it's an authority in your life. You listen to it. You obey it. The person who hears and obeys him has a firm foundation. The person who doesn't is building their life on sand. This is what Jesus said. And the the main point, the overarching theme that I want us to see this morning is this. Each of us, every one of us, you don't have to be a Christian. No matter who you are, each of us is building our lives on something. And whatever you're building your life on has authority over you. It does. You can be agnostic, you can hold another faith, another religion, or, or atheist. 
or a Christian, all of us are building our life on something. But the question is, will your foundation stand up under the storms of life? If I asked you, who is the greatest villain in the history of cinema, we'd probably get a wide variety of answers, but there are a couple that would come to the top. Who is the greatest villain in in literature and in cinema? Darth Vader's got to be up there, right? I mean... (laughs) Imagine being the, uh, the actor who's chosen to play the role of Darth Vader in this really obscure movie. Nobody knows about this movie. Uh, you know, the director has had a little bit of fame in a, in a movie called American Graffiti, and he got funded to do this movie that nobody really wanted him to do, but he did it anyway, George Lucas. And you, you've been chosen to play this, this role, and you have no idea what it's going to be like, and it's this, this character named Darth Vader And then quickly, this movie, after its release, becomes the greatest, the most successful grossing film up to that point ever. At first, you're just glad to have work as an actor, and the film is released and explodes into what it is, and now you're the actor who plays Darth Vader. But then, as you sit there watching the film for the first time as the actor of Darth Vader, you realize they didn't use your voice as you're acting, they use James Earl Jones' voice. Good decision, by the way. <laughs> you're playing this role in the first three Star Wars movies, episodes four through six, and it's the most popular movie in the history of cinema, and no one knows who you are. Your voice is not being heard, and your face is being hid. And then, finally, at the end of the sixth episode, finally, Darth Mater- Vader's <laughs> mask is going to be taken off and revealed and your face is finally going to be seen, and you're finally going to get recognition for being the actor who has played Darth Vader in all these films, and instead, they go with a different actor. This is the story of Dave Prowse, the man who played Darth Vader, a man I had never heard of before. So, you hardcore fans, you've heard of him. He's famous to you, but he's, he's anonymous to the rest of us. And I just recently watched this, this documentary called I Am Your Father about Dave Prowse. And what I learned, my takeaway from this documentary is this, how not being recognized for his work, this man, has marked him. It's an authority over him. It controls everything he does. Watch it. It's fascinating. This thing has control and power over him. It's become the bedrock upon which he's built his life. I need to be recognized for my work as Darth Vader. It's become his foundation. Each of us is building our lives on something. We are. The question is, what are you building your life on, and will that thing, that authority, have the power to withstand the inevitable storms that will come your way in life? Two points today. Why is Jesus the the authority we should build our lives on? And how do we build our lives on the authority of Jesus? Why? Why Jesus? And second, how? First, why? Why is Jesus the authority we should build our lives on? In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus declaring the good news of the kingdom throughout, right? The Gospel of Matthew is largely about the kingdom of God and the reality that Jesus Christ declares himself to be that king. Jesus is saying, uh, I am the culmination of what God is doing in the world. I created the universe, um, It's broken, it's fallen, it's being redeemed and restored, and 
ultimately will be consummated in this coming kingdom, and I am that king. And so we see in Jesus' life and his physical presence on the earth, wherever he goes, there are manifestations of that kingdom breaking out everywhere in his life. He doesn't just teach. He teaches with one who has authority. Why? Because he's literally God in the flesh. People are physically healed of all their diseases when Jesus was physically present because he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the great physician. So his kingdom is present in his physical being. So people are healed. Evil must flee. All that is wrong in the world around Jesus, where he goes, gets made right. Little girls who pass away when they're brought to Christ are raised. Jairus' daughter. And all the things that we mourn and we say to ourselves, like Zoe's life, that's not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And that's the right response. When you go to a funeral of a 16-year-old girl, you try to deal with it, and you, you tell stories, and you praise God for her life, and you're thankful for who she was, and you celebrate the beauty of her life, but at the same time, you have to say to yourself, this is not right. And Jesus comes in, and he says, I am the king that will restore everything that is broken, everything that is wrong with the world in my coming kingdom, a foretaste now in his presence, but the consummation thereof when he returns fully and finally as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Jesus says, the reason why I get to be the authority is I literally am the king that's responsible for this universe. In Colossians 1, it says this, for by him, and it means Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Bible declares nothing less than that Jesus is responsible for all things, and even gives integrity to all things currently, that all things live, move, and have their being in Jesus Christ. He's what integrates things. Why does he get to be the ultimate authority, the owner? Why should we listen to him? Everything we can see, everything we can't see, the Bible says he owns it all. Every president, every king, every CEO, every boss, every single authority ultimately, ultimately has to bow to the authority of Christ, is what the Bible says. Now, I know this sounds preposterous to some of you. I, I know it does. But I want to go back to our main premise. We're all building our lives on an authority. Every one of us is building our lives on an authority. And whether we're listening and obeying God as authority in our life, you are building your life on something, a bedrock, a foundation, something that you say, this is the foundational idea, principle, thought, goal, love of my heart. This is my foundation. And we build our life on it. But is it able to sustain your life when the inevitable storms come? We build our lives and we listen and obey material things and money. Friends, we do. All of us are doing this. <laughs> and I'm not preaching this sermon this morning only to people who are seekers and not yet Christians. I, this is for all of us. 
There is what we state we are building our life on. If you're a Christian, you say, I believe that I'm building my life on Jesus. But just what he said this morning, we have an authority, but throughout the rest of the week, we drift into autonomy. I do as well. One of the things I love about being as a pastor is I have to show up here every week. It's part of my job description. That means I have to prepare sermons, but even on the weeks where I'm not preaching, I am forced back into the word of God every week, which keeps me clinging to the authority that is Jesus in my life, because just like you, my heart, if not careful, is swung towards autonomy. Right? We are building our lives on materialism and money and the stuff that we know cannot sustain ourselves when the inevitable storms of life come. God created all things and declared them good. There's nothing wrong with stuff, but if you make it your authority and your foundation, it will have to let you down. People listen and obey others seeking approval. People listen and obey others others seeking their approval think about for you many of you the authority somebody has over you maybe it's a parent you never heard i love you from a mother or a father and you spend the rest of your life seeking their approval if i could just get them to say i'm proud of you if i could just hear their voice say i love you you finally did it you are a good student. You, you are a good son. You are a good daughter. I love you. I accept you. You did it. Some of us live with that hunger and that thirst for their approval, and it may or may not ever come. And that has an authority over us. It has a power over us. We listen to that, and we obey those voices in our head. The question is, can that be the thing that upholds you when the storms of life come? Some of you are seeking approval. Some of you are looking to money. Some of you are looking to desire and pleasure. We're all doing these things. They're authorities. A few years ago, I was reading an article in Newsweek about Woody Allen, the filmmaker. Strange guy, but he's a genius. And the, the article is called Still Working, semicolon, Still Terrified. Allen has devoted his career to making films that consistently assert the randomness of life, it said in this article. At 72, he still uh, says he still lies awake at night, terrified of the void. And the void is what comes after death. He cannot reconcile his strident atheism with his superstition about the banana. But he knows why he makes movies. Not because he has any grand statement to offer, but simply to take his mind off the existential horror of being alive. Movies are a great diversion, he says, because it's much more pleasant to be obsessed over how the hero gets out of his predicament than it is over how I get out of mine. What about the banana? He cuts his banana into seven slices each morning, six slices or eight, and something bad might happen. I know it would be total coincidence if I didn't slice it into seven pieces and my family were killed in a fire. I understand that there could be no correlation, but you know the guilt would be too much for me to bear, so it's easier for me to cut the stupid banana. On the one hand, he's an atheist. There's no rhyme or reason to this world. There's no power over me. There's no authority in the universe that I bow to, and yet he can't 
get away from the authority that this idea of cutting a banana into six or eight slices could undo him. One of my best friends is, is an atheist, and yet every time he goes to Mexico, wh- when he goes through customs and you enter into Mexico and all these people beg, he will give money there, not because he's generous, because it's good juju. That's what he says. What is juju? What power or authority does it have? Well, it seems to have some power or authority for him. There is authority. There are power. We're building our lives, listening to voices over all kinds of things, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Christian. The question is, what are you building on? And will your authority give you life and give you stability when the inevitable storms of life come and they, they come to each one of us? The next question I want to ask is this. How do we build our lives on the authority of Jesus? And there's so much more that we could say about the first point. Why? Why does Jesus get to be authority? The easy answer, and the answer that I believe to be true, is because he's God. And he rose from the dead. And he promises to come back. And dudes that die and rise from the dead, they get to tell me what to do. <laughs> Second, how do we build our lives on the authority of Jesus? We build our lives on the authority of Jesus by listening to his word and doing it. But Jesus made a distinction between those who merely listen and those who do, and James does as well in his letter. Don't be merely hearers of the word, but doers also. Challenge. There is a turning point that everyone must face. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in him, you love in him, he is your savior, there is a point in your life where you have to get to where you say, I'm not only grateful for his forgiveness of my sins, I now have to walk with him as my Lord. And to do that, I need to listen to his words and obey them. And if you stick around here very long, you're going to hear me say, I don't obey Jesus' words perfectly either. That's not what I'm saying this morning, okay? This is not about perfectionist keeping of, of God's word or law. What I'm saying is this. There is a turning point that you have to get to where you say, I will follow you, Jesus, and whatever you address in my heart, in my life, through your word, you win. I may not be perfect in my following of you, but I will seek to. I will repent of the ways in which I'm not. I will keep returning to your word. You get to be the authority in my life. This is the turning point. And I remember very clearly what that was like for me. In high school, I'd become a follower of Jesus. I loved being, quote unquote, saved, forgiven of my sins. I loved so much of the Bible because it was so comforting. I loved to be told I was forgiven, loved, accepted by God. Who doesn't like to hear that? But I was not yet totally cool with the word of God, wanting to read it and apply it and live under it. There are a lot of things, frankly, that I wanted to ignore. Some of the things I liked, a lot of things I didn't like. But over the years, I've learned that we don't receive comfort for the Bible when we need it until we place ourselves under the authority of the Scriptures. Talk to any follower of Jesus, any Christian that you respect, and I promise you, as part of their story, if they have a legitimate walk with God, will be this. There was a time in my life when I realized I had to begin to listen to the voice of Jesus through his word, through the Holy Scriptures, and not only receive the comfort that it has, but also to receive its challenge. 
and then to walk in that thing, even if it's challenging me, even if I don't fully understand or agree. Now, ordinarily, we accept the parts of the Bible that we find comforting, and we reject those things that we find offensive or too challenging, and we like to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like. Some passages are problematic. Let's let's admit it. They are an affront to our selfishness and pride. Jesus says stuff like, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that's not very comforting. What happens to people on crosses? Crosses are for what? (laughs) Dying, execution. And Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, deny yourself Take up this huge cross, put it on your back, and start following me. Die to yourself. Well, that's challenging. Jesus is saying, place yourself under my authority. You're not the authority. I am. I am the Lord. You're not. You need to begin to follow me. There are other hard sayings about our inner life and sexual ethics that would be way, way easier just to ignore But Jesus says things like, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There's so many other things in the Bible that are just so challenging. Love your neighbors yourself. Pray for those that persecute you. (laughs) Forgive them. Love them. Go the extra mile. Just as we read the Sermon on the Mount alone, we are cut to the core and unable to do all that it says. And Jesus is saying, if you... If you want stability in your life, you want a foundation, there has to become a moment where you not only see see me as your Savior, one who forgives you of your sins, but as your Lord. Because the authorities in our life, we listen to them and we obey them. Never perfectly, but we listen and we obey. We follow, we implement. One of the main things I want us to see this morning about this is if you don't accept the challenge of the Bible because there are all these things that just seem too hard, too difficult, too challenging to be true to you. You'll never actually rest in the comfort of the Bible because it'll seem too good to be true. There are all these things in the Bible that are so challenging, so hard, and you hear them, you go, that's too hard, that can't be true. And so you set it aside, but then when the storms of life rage against you, death of a 16-year-old, cancer, sickness in your own family, sickness, death of a loved one, whatever it is, difficulty with children, just normal life stuff, marriage, it's raging against you, and you need comfort from the Bible. And you go to it, and you hear all these wonderful promises in the Bible. They won't ring true to you. They'll seem too good to be true because you know in your heart what you've been doing all along. You track with me? You have placed yourself over the Bible instead of living under it. And now the storm has come and it's raging and it's beating against your door and there's a flood outside and it's tearing away your foundation. But because you've been picking and choosing what you'll accept in the Bible, now when you need comfort, there is none because you know it's not a real authority in your life. You've actually been the authority in your life, not the scriptures. But friends, I've got such good news for you and there's nothing greater to me, you know, Scott, do you like to preach comfort to your people or challenge? Comfort. I love to preach comfort to you. 
And the reason I have to preach challenge to you also is because Jesus is not just our Savior, he's also our Lord. And there's actually greater comfort in that when he's your Lord and when you need to be comforted, you will be because you know Jesus Christ has authoritative words over your heart and over your life. What we're talking about is lordship. There comes a place, friends, and everyone who follows Jesus, we have to say, I don't want to be the Lord of my life any longer. Ultimately, all these other authorities, these voices we listen to, all these other things, honestly, in reality, most of those boil down to us being the authority. There comes a place in your life, a turning point. It's a very clear turning point where you have to lay down your arms, as C.S. Lewis said, and you say to yourself, Jesus must be Lord over my life. For me, this was in about the middle of high school. And then I had to re- re-up a bunch. I still am. I still have to say this. I still have to remind myself. This isn't a one and done, okay? This is a, a daily exercise where Jesus, you must be Lord of my life. No more autonomy. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to your authority and, and, and reject the autonomy. There's no part of my life that's off, off limits to you. But that's where we live in autonomy. There are no shut doors to you, Jesus. But if, you're, if we're not careful, that's where we slip to in auto- autonomy. There's no closet you can't go into. There's no issue you can't address. There's no relationship you can't talk to me about. There's no habit that I have that we can't have a conversation about, that your word can't challenge. There, I just have got to get to the point where I say, I, 